0: Welcome to Investing Insights for the Modern Investor, a quarterly podcast to help you become a better investor so that you can grow and protect your wealth. I cover investment topics, including portfolio design, cutting edge investment strategies, risk management, and any topic relevant to creating better long-term investing results. This podcast is a companion to Three Summit Investment Management's quarterly Investing Insight newsletter for more information about 3Summit Investment Management and to subscribe to Investing Insights, please go to our website at www.3summit.com. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Investments involve risk. Be sure to first consult with a qualified investment manager or tax professional before implementing any strategy. This podcast is not intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice. I am Dan Irvine, the founder and principal of 3Summit Investment Management. Thank you for listening. Hello, and thank you for joining me again this quarter. We are going to resume with the second part of a two-part series on the tendency for conventional diversification to fail when your portfolio needs risk protection the most. Obviously, this is a very timely topic, so I'm excited to get into the second part with you today. Last quarter, I went into detail on why conventional diversification fails investment portfolios at the worst possible time. This quarter, I'm going to introduce powerful risk management strategies that address shortfalls of conventional diversification. They also offer protection from large investment losses and drive the opportunity for higher long-term returns. If you have not read or listened to the first part of this series, I would recommend that you go to our website at www.3summit.com forward slash podcast and listen to the first part of this series before continuing with this episode. As I commonly do, I will be referencing charts throughout this episode. You don't need to have the charts in front of you to follow along. I'll explain the charts as we get to them, but it is always helpful and can add context to what we're discussing if you are able to look at the charts. Those charts are available in the show notes on our website if you'd like to follow along. So let's dive into the topic for this quarter. Successful investing requires robust risk management. Investing is risky, period. But it is also necessary for most people to take some level of risk to have any chance of funding a comfortable retirement and protecting their wealth over the long term. Every year that you have cash in a bank account, your money becomes less valuable and accrues less purchasing power. If your savings are not keeping up with inflation, you could be risking your ability to maintain your lifestyle throughout retirement and reducing the amount of wealth that you are able to pass on to your beneficiaries. As we explored in part one of this series last quarter, stocks are the primary drivers of returns in any portfolio, but they are also the primary source of significant investment losses. Stocks are risky, but they are essential to meeting long-term investment objectives. Most investment portfolios deal with stock risk by diversifying across different asset classes like bonds, real estate, commodities, and cash. I call this risk management technique conventional diversification because it is ubiquitous across almost every investor's portfolio. I demonstrated last quarter that this singular approach to risk management is inadequate because diversification is prone to failure during periods of market turmoil, which often results in surprising losses for investors. Even when conventional diversification does not fail, bonds and other asset classes can rarely offset the massive losses that stocks frequently experience. To protect portfolios from large losses, additional risk management strategies beyond conventional diversification are required. Risk management strategies that focus specifically on decreasing stock risk within a portfolio are crucial to reducing the magnitude of losses a portfolio is likely to experience over time. We're going to explore risk management strategies that enhance conventional diversification, reduce stock risk, and protect From conventional diversification failure that occurs during extreme market turmoil. The three risk management strategies that we're going to evaluate today are trend following strategies, concentrated equity strategies, and tail risk hedging strategies. So let's jump in to trend following strategies. Trend following strategies seek to strike a balance between the need to own stocks and the need to protect against the inevitable large losses that can accompany owning stocks. Trend following strategies are quantitative strategies that measure the momentum of stock prices. When stocks are in an uptrend, meaning stock prices on average are moving up, then the strategy is fully invested in stocks. However, When the uptrend in price momentum reverses and stocks begin to decline in value on average, the strategies exit stocks and instead invest in bonds or cash. I've written a lot about trend following strategies in past Investing Insights. To learn more about the mechanics of trend following strategies, I recommend that you listen to episode two of this podcast. Trend following helps to mitigate the risk of large losses, especially during times of conventional diversification failure, because the strategy is designed to exit stocks before the largest losses begin and invest instead in cash or bonds. This strategy can be effective because bonds experience much lower price volatility than stocks. So during periods when almost all asset classes decline in value simultaneously, bonds have a high probability of declining much less in value than stocks. If we look back 15 years, which includes both the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009 and the pandemic market collapse of this year, we can evaluate the historical effectiveness of trend following as a risk management strategy. A great way to analyze the efficacy of a risk management strategy is to look at rolling drawdowns. Don't worry, I will explain rolling drawdowns in a moment. I'm going to review now the first chart. So again, that is available in the show notes if you'd like to follow along. The chart shows rolling drawdowns for the hypothetical returns of a trend following strategy and the S&P 500. Before we walk through the chart together, let me first explain what rolling drawdown is So that you can understand the chart. For each quarter going back 15 years, the largest losses, also called drawdown, for both the hypothetical trend following strategy and the S&P 500 are calculated for the previous three years. Looking back each quarter at the previous three years removes time period bias so that we can analyze the consistency of risk reduction. The start and end dates that you choose to run a chart can dramatically impact the results of any statistic being calculated rolling charts help eliminate this problem by looking at overlapping periods so we are simply looking at overlapping periods of three years that are calculated on a quarterly basis so every quarter we look at the largest loss during the previous three years. So let's get back to the chart. Under each date at the top of the chart, there are two bars, a dark blue bar, which represents the largest loss for the hypothetical trend following strategy, and a light blue bar, which is the largest loss for the S&P 500. The bars show the largest losses over the previous three years from the date on the x-axis. And what we can see from this chart is that the largest losses that trend following produced over most three year time periods was much lower than the S&P 500. The loss reduction is particularly pronounced during the Great Recession. During both the Great Recession and pandemic market crash this year, Markets became so dislocated that conventional diversification failed over a period of time and all asset classes experienced losses. But we can see that trend following provided massive risk reduction during the Great Recession. So if you don't have the chart in front of you, we're gonna drill down on the specific timeframes of the Great Recession and the latest pandemic market crash. Again, if you're following along with the charts, I've also posted a table of this data that I'm about to review in the show notes. The table shows that trend following produced a maximum loss during the Great Recession of just negative 5.17% versus the S&P, which suffered losses of negative 48.45% over the same time period. The risk reduction trend following produced during this period is amazing. And what's more, trend following produced massively higher returns than the S&P 500 over the period with positive returns of 11.97% versus the S&P 500 with losses during the great recession of negative 10.74%. So the timeframe of that data was between January 1st of 2008 through December 31st of 2009. Now let's look at the pandemic market crash of this year more closely. Both the rolling drawdown chart and the data table show that trend following generated losses of negative 20.91% over the first half of 2020 versus negative 19.6% for the S&P 500. Furthermore, trend following generated returns of negative 10.86% versus 2.38% for the S&P 500 over the same time period. So what is very clear is that trend following did not protect against diversification failure and large losses resulting from the pandemic, but protected amazingly during the Great Recession. A weakness of trend following is that the strategy does not work well for very sudden and large losses. It takes time for trend following strategies to respond to shifts in market price momentum, and this is by design. The losses in 2020 were event-driven, and event-driven losses usually are unpredictable and happen extremely fast. The pandemic resulted in the fastest loss of negative 30 percent in the S&P 500 over the entire 100-year 100, 100 history of the index, so it's not surprising that trend following failed to provide protections this year. On the other hand, the Great Recession was a more typical recession with a long lead-up period of increased volatility and a slight downward trend in stock market prices followed by rapid market losses. The trend-following strategy detected the shift in market momentum early and was out of the markets before the vast majority of the losses. So to summarize, trend-following provides reliable protection from large losses and failure of conventional diversification during traditional recessions, but can fail to protect during event-driven market crashes. In the case of traditional recessions, trend following is capable of providing exceptional protection against losses because the strategy exits risky stocks completely. So let's move on to concentrated equity strategies and evaluate their ability to manage risk. Paraphrasing Charlie Munger is the best way to describe the concentrated stock strategy approach to risk management. Munger has explained in the past that the key to successful investing is picking a few great companies and then sitting on your ass. Intentionally limiting stock diversification and buying and holding only the highest quality companies in the US has empirically produced fantastic results from a risk management perspective. While counterintuitive, this strategy can successfully insulate your portfolio from larger losses because of the financial strength and dominant industry position of the best companies. When I say this approach to risk management is counterintuitive, I may be understating just how opposite this approach is to how most investors view risk management. Professional investors repeat the importance of broad diversification ad nauseum. Diversification is an important risk management tool, but so is adding proper concentration of the right companies. The key to this strategy is extreme concentration. The average mutual fund, which is a diversified investment, has 70 or more stocks in the portfolio. Our concentrated equity strategy holds three stocks and is limited to holding a maximum of four individual stocks. The strategy holds the stocks over the very long term, meaning this strategy rarely changes the stocks held. Historically, Our method of picking stocks has been very successful in not only reducing losses during recessions and periods of conventional diversification failure, but also in providing significant outperformance during rising markets. The added benefit to a concentrated equity strategy is that it is possible for their strategy to protect from large losses and outperform the market as a whole over the short and long term. The structure and stock selection process of a concentrated equity strategy is the key to increasing the probability of success in meeting both downside protection and long-term outperformance goals. I'm going to share with you the primary structuring criteria that I use when designing concentrated equity strategies. First, there are several rules for how to structure a concentrated equity strategy. The strategy may not include less than two holdings and cannot exceed four. Each holding should be in a different sector. One holding must be in consumer staples and companies should be held over the long term. So there should not be a lot of trading in a concentrated equity strategy. Now, I also have some rules that I'll share with you for how to actually select the stocks and the criteria to use for selecting the stocks for a concentrated equity strategy. Only large or mega cap stocks should be included in a concentrated equity strategy. The companies should be industry leaders with significant competitive advantages. Another requirement is that the company should have excellent leadership and corporate governance practices. Also consistent revenue growth or the opportunity to use competitive advantages to increase revenue in the mid and long-term timeframes is important when selecting a stock. And then finally, companies selected should have steady margins and be consistently profitable. Like we did with a trend following, let's examine the risk protection potential of a hypothetical concentrated equity strategy over the last 15 years. It's important to note that the concentrated equity strategy in this example held the same three stocks over the entire 15-year time period that we're going to look at. So again, there is a rolling drawdown chart for this strategy compared to the S&P 500 that is posted on the show notes. So it would be helpful if you could look at that and follow along, but it's certainly not necessary. If you are looking at the rolling drawdown chart, we can see that the hypothetical concentrated equity strategy reduces losses by about half compared to the S&P 500 over both the great recession and the pandemic market crash of this year. Over most 3-year overlapping periods, the concentrated equity strategy produced consistently lower average losses, and particularly as I mentioned during periods of market turmoil. So there is a table again on the show notes that we can zoom into the two recessionary periods that happened over the last 15 years, the Great Recession and the pandemic market crash of this year. During the Great Recession, the concentrated equity strategy produced losses of negative 21.66% versus the S&P 500 with losses of negative 48.45%. The concentrated equity strategy also produced positive returns during the Great Recession of 6.23% versus negative 10.74% over the same time period for the S&P 500. Now, when we look at the pandemic market crash of this year, the results are similarly impressive. The concentrated equity strategy generated losses of negative 9.25%, versus losses of 19.6% for the S&P 500. Also, the concentrated equity strategy generated positive returns during the pandemic crisis of 12.49% versus 2.38% for the S&P 500 for the first half of 2020. During both market events, which were periods when conventional diversification failed portfolios and large losses in the stock market as a whole occurred. The concentrated equity strategy produced losses of less than half the S&P 500 and produced positive returns over these periods. So to summarize, the concentrated equity strategy historically has provided very reliable downside protection in both event driven and more traditional recessionary periods. Now, a downside to the concentrated equity strategy is that the risk of failure is higher than trend following because success depends on good stock selection and the strategy is exposed to greater unsystematic risk. While the best companies in the U.S. are likely to weather bad economies better than less quality peers, each recession has a different catalyst, so the impact on each company and sector is unknowable. What we have been able to demonstrate from our analysis is that the conservative equity strategy has an ability to protect against event-driven market declines, which is a weakness of trend following. Where the strategy lacks compared to trend following is the fact that it provides less downside protection during more typical recessions, because the strategy remains fully invested in stocks and therefore cannot insulate the portfolio from diversification failure and stock risk as efficiently as trend following. Now let's move on to the last risk management strategy that we're going to evaluate, tail risk hedging strategies. Tail risk hedging strategies seek to ensure a portfolio against large stock market losses. The ideal scenario for an investor is to participate in the upside of the stock market. But when losses begin to occur, to have a hedge in place that will protect the portfolio from further losses. The most common tail-risk hedging strategy involves buying equity index put options. An equity index put option increases in value as the value of an equity index declines in value. In this way, owning put options can offset losses of stock positions in a portfolio should the value of stocks begin to decline beyond a certain point. By hedging stock market losses, the strategy puts in an effective floor for portfolio losses. And that sounds great, right? A highly reliable strategy that can shield your portfolio against large losses. Now, of course, like anything that sounds that good, this strategy has one major problem. Like all insurance policies, it is a very, very expensive strategy to implement. One study of tail risk hedging hedging strategies done in 2019 showed that the strategy can cost a portfolio as much as negative 14.2% on average during normal markets. The strategy is very successful at protecting from large losses. However, the cost of continuously holding put options is highly likely to offset any benefits from the downside protection that a portfolio enjoys over the life of the portfolio. So let's put all of these strategies in context and look at how they can be used to implement a diversified risk management approach. There is no silver bullet when it comes to limiting the risk of loss while also seeking to generate attractive investment returns. As we discussed in the first part of this series, conventional diversification is an important part of any portfolio despite its tendency to fail when a portfolio needs protection the most. The key to robust risk management is to augment conventional diversification with other high quality risk management strategies like the three we just reviewed. From our review of the three high quality strategies, the strategy with the highest degree of reliability in terms of ensuring protection against large losses is the tail risk hedging strategy. Despite the reliability in protection that this strategy provides, 3Summit does not use tail risk hedging strategies in portfolios that we design for one very important reason. Investing requires the acceptance of uncertainty and some level of risk to be successful. We do not believe that it's prudent to invest our clients' assets in investment strategies with negative expected returns. Buying assets with negative expected returns is not investing, but instead purchasing insurance. The cost of directly hedging against losses is so expensive that a positive long-term return is almost certainly not possible. Making hedging strategies a direct cost for a portfolio instead of a value add in terms of long-term total returns. Our assessment of tail risk hedging strategies is that the only way to produce positive expected returns is to only invest in tail risk hedging strategies during periods of major stock market declines. In other words, we would have to predict recessions. And I think this year's stock market events prove again how impossible that approach would be. If, however, we were to be able to predict recessions, I don't think we would invest in tail risk hedging strategies, but simply divest out of stocks. Okay, so we have eliminated tail risk hedging strategies. So we are now left with two risk management strategies that could be implemented which have their pros and cons, but are empirically effective at dramatically reducing the risk of losses and protecting against the failure of conventional diversification. The best part, though, is both risk management strategies have positive expected returns, and therefore they add value and would be expected to contribute positively to the long-term total return of the portfolio. The trend-following and concentrated equity strategies are unique in process and efficacy across different market environments, and therefore they actually complement each other nicely. The two strategies have strengths that help compensate for the weaknesses of the other. Furthermore, both strategies individually and together complement conventional diversification by significantly reducing the largest risk in diversified portfolios, the risk of owning stocks. By adding trend following and concentrated equity to a conventionally diversified portfolio, it is possible to diversify risk management strategies instead of counting on just conventional diversification to protect a portfolio from downside risk. All three strategies working together provide maximum risk protection and reduce the risk of stock ownership to lower levels than any one of the risk management strategies could achieve on their own. Before we wrap up this discussion, let's quickly see how a portfolio that uses a diversified risk management approach compares to a conventionally diversified portfolio we will compare the two portfolios going back 15 years so that we include both the Great Recession and the latest pandemic market crash. The diversified portfolio uses the concentrated equity strategy, trend following, and conventional diversification. The conventional portfolio looks similar to most investors' portfolios and simply uses conventional diversification to manage risk. Finally, both portfolios invest 60% in stocks and the rest in bonds. For those of you who are looking at the show notes and following along on the charts, I posted a data table for this example, but I'm gonna briefly summarize the results of this analysis. During both the Great Recession and the pandemic market crash of this year, the diversified risk portfolio generated much lower losses than the conventional portfolio. During the Great Recession and over the entire 15 year time period, the diversified risk portfolio generated less than half the losses of the conventional portfolio and generated materially higher average annual returns. This example demonstrates that it is possible for two portfolios to invest equal amounts in stocks, and by simply using a diversified risk approach, that portfolio can generate higher returns with half the risk as a similar conventional portfolio. This example perfectly illustrates why I believe that a diversified approach to risk management is a unique source of returns, a unique source of returns that all investors should be enjoying. And that is a wrap for this quarter. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want to view our video series called The Five Secrets of High-Performance Investing, then you can find it on our website at threesummit.com forward slash secrets. Also, if you find our investing insights helpful and you've gained something from our podcast, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. That helps us out a lot. And as always, I love hearing from our listeners. So please do not hesitate to contact me directly if you want to talk about investing or any other financial topic that is important to you. Take care, and I look forward to next quarter.